What's going on, guys? You are listening to the Lens Culture Photography Podcast, hosted by myself, Jonathan Pajak. And I just want to let you guys know the purpose of this podcast is to help all of you guys, photographers, videographers in this awesome industry, grow your business. That is the main purpose here. If you want to access anything I reference in this episode, be sure to head down to the show notes of the episode for additional information. Enough talking. Let's get right into it. Welcome back to the Lens Culture Podcast, guys. I am pumped to have you on this episode. You are about to listen to part one, episode one on this little mini series. Often on this podcast, if you've listened to a few episodes in the past, I'm really focusing a lot on the business side. I'm teaching my knowledge um, through experience. I'm not, you know, the most 100% knowledgeable guy. I'm not, I don't know everything, but I'm teaching you guys and expressing stuff that I've learned in this business. Um, a lot of the topics cover business growth, marketing, etc. Um, but in the next three episodes, I wanted to make like a small mini series on talking about the complete wedding film process, the how to make a wedding film from start to the very finish to sending it off the complete process. I'm going to break down my complete wedding film process from start to finish. So you're listening to episode one. I'm pumped. Let's get into it. It would have been four episodes, but I've already done one on gear and I'll touch on that a little bit in this episode. But you can go back to that old one and listen to it and and just hear exactly what I'm using. Um, I also have a few other ones that have been re- that would be really well as prepping for this first one. Um, basically, like the audio one, how to like, think about and pick music beforehand, stuff like that. But let's hop right into today's topic, which is filming, filming the wedding. So let's get into it. So the first part we're going to talk about today um, is literally how I shoot a wedding, how I shoot a wedding, everything down from you know, the stuff I'm using, settings, angles, logistics, cameras I'm using, stuff like that. Um, the second episode will be breaking down my editing process. Um, basically everything that I do in the editing side after the wedding to get to the point where I deliver a film that I am proud of, proud to represent, that represents my brand. And the final episode is going to be basically the delivery process and stuff that I'm doing on the end of that for myself for future business and also for the couple and client as well so let's hop right into today's topic which is how i actually film so pre-wedding day prep is crucial and whatever you may have had in your head when i first said that um, may be a little bit different from what i'm going to tell you for me knowing my couples is crucial who they are how they act stuff like that what they enjoy basically their style and their life knowing you know, what your couples do and how they are and kind of the personality they have will drastically, drastically affect how I film and edit a wedding film that represents them and their relationship. Um, This is very crucial to me and I think it should be crucial to you guys too because if you have a couple that is super emotional, they're super emotional, they've cried a lot on their wedding day, um, they are telling each other they love each other, they're not stopped holding hands, they're not stopped touching each other's arms, they were dancing at the reception floor all night, you know, just super emotional and so happy to be in love, you're not going to use some upbeat rock song for them, unless there was a lot of rock music at their wedding or something like that. But you would probably use more of an emotional song because their guests are crying, they're crying, everybody's just so emotionally happy, as opposed to just like a party or just like smile happy or something like that. Um, It it depends the couple on how you're going to film and edit. Honestly, for me, it does specifically too. For example, if I'm filming a letter reading and I know the couple is very emotional and I know that they're not doing personal vows and they're an emotional and they're emotional people, 
I'm going to maybe film a, a little bit of a tighter angle on those on those moments because a lot of times um, tighter angles sh- tend to show more emotion, um, seems to portray a little bit more of like you're closer to that person as opposed to a wider shot like a 24 or 35 millimeter. Um, but how I do this pre-planning on the couple is through a, l- a few different ways. First things first is being social media. Social media is awesome because for me, on my even on my contact form when they initially reach out, I'm asking for their Instagram handles. And what this does for me is, A, I can follow them and just, you know, maybe like a few of their most recent posts or the posts saying that she got engaged or interact with it or somehow just to show that I've, hey, I've, maybe they see my name pop up and they're thinking, wow, this guy came onto our Instagram and commented something really nice. Like he seems, maybe he's a really cool person and he spent a little bit more time to get to know his couples. I don't know. I hope that they know that. And that's pretty much my goal is to, to let them know that I actually want to know who the heck they are um, because I can do a better job for them. So social media is huge. You can, let's say you book them 12 months out, um, maybe small like little life things happen in the 12 months from when you book them to their wedding. You know, just randomly liking photos or commenting stuff or saying nice things or they'll comment on stuff on your story or stuff like that. Just builds that connection and you can learn more about them as a couple and just as a person in general too. So social media is great. It's a great way to silently stalk your couples to learn more about them. The second thing is questionnaires. Um, on my questionnaire, I like to have other questions besides the normal address for your ceremony, address for your reception. I like to have other things too, like basically saying like, if you do, you guys have any inside jokes? Do you have any like inside jokes between yourself that you always like, you know, joke with each other about? Like, what do you? What is like one thing you guys do every single month, no matter what, together? Like, it could be a hike, it could be something like that. Who knows? Um, just random things. I also ask them music preferences in the questionnaire. I ask them to tell me about one of their favorite memories about each other, just random things like that. So it's little details that I get to learn a little bit more about them um, and how I can serve them better and make them a better film. Another way you can get to know this and pre-plan a little bit on them is phone calls. Phone calls are great because especially when they're not a call that's for sales or for for um, basically just for sales actually because if you're planning sometimes you can as you're planning you can suggest things based off stuff you've learned about them or stuff that they've answered the questionnaires like oh like what if we went to this park you guys always go have picnics at the park what if we drove down the street to this park and did some like photos there or something like that or something cool Um, whatever resonates to them me and my girlfriend we constantly joke um all the time we love Burger King ice cream cones. So weird, so random. You guys are learning a very interesting fact about me today. Uh, we love Burger King ice cream cones, and we've always joked that at our wedding in the future, we would love to, after, go get an ice cream cone from Burger King and like have the photographer take pictures or something, like something stupid or quirky, just because that, like, us sharing Burger King ice cream cones is like such a crucial part in our part of our relationship that I think it'd be funny to capture on like photos and videos and stuff like that. Um, and also just their wedding details in general can help you learn more about them. Um, stuff that they have planned. Like maybe they've said, we want to do a first look because we know we're going to cry a lot and we'd rather just do that together than be with, uh, you know, 200 to 100 plus people sitting in a church or something like that. So just learning more about their details can really help you learn more about them and how to film correctly in a way that will um, obviously, you know, portray them a little bit better. So moving on, we're going to talk about actual, literal pre, pre-planning, not just conceptual and stuff like that. Um, basically, the timeline is going to be your best friend. For me, I focus really hard on establishing from the from the beginning that I want to have a say in the timeline. I want things like the letter reading to be on the timeline. Um, I think that's because 
when I've worked with other photographers that are, you know, I'm on the priority. I made more money. I was hired first, like that type of thing. They don't care about your timeline. They don't care about the things you need to capture. They don't care about you wanting to pose for movement and not just, you know, static poses and stuff like that. So from the bat, telling your couple, like, I'm going to be emailing you three, four months out to have a say in the timeline. Please, if you have any questions, I'm always here to help. Here's my cell phone number, stuff like that. We'll just impose on them that you actually care. And that's that's good because having a good timeline where you have a little bit of a say in it can help you capture maybe creative ideas that you have with them or something like that that can just make you, you know, have an edit that portrays them in a more superior manner. So understanding that you need to have a say in the timeline is crucial. Um, reading up on their story beforehand, this again, you could do easily with the, with the questionnaire. Um, just have like in a small section on that. I pull that up literally either maybe while I'm putting batteries and SD cards in my camera before in the morning or maybe even if I'm shooting with my um, second shooter, I'll have him read it out loud for us on the drive or something like that. Whatever, just to remind me of their story and who they are and stuff like that. Understanding their music taste is huge. Um, for me, like I said before in the last section, I asked them on the questionnaire. Obviously, I cannot use, you know, um, Ed Sheeran Perfect or some other really like, you know, sappy John Legend song, but I can take that song and use Musicbed, Artlist, Soundstripe, Epidemic Sound, and find a song that matches that genre and cadence. Obviously, I tell my couples from the beginning, I'm very story-driven, I'm dialogue-driven. I'm going to use as much as I possibly can of the dialogue of the day. Letter readings, vows, whatever the officiant has to say, speeches, as long as it pertains to the couple. And I say this, I say that very strictly because I'm not going to use, you know, Bob's speech when all he talked about was how drunk he got with the groom. That doesn't do anything in regards to telling their story. It may tell you know, the groom's story, but not them as, <clears throat> as a couple, unless it somehow led to them, like him finding her or something like that, that would be funny. And I would probably end up using that. Um, uh, but definitely, you know, um, doing that is crucial. Understanding the music taste that way you can either a, maybe even pick a song beforehand or just kind of like think about it as you're shooting. Cause you want to shoot with that mentality in mind beforehand. I'm also collaborating with other vendors, just sending over a message saying, Hey, excited to work with you this Saturday. Here's my Instagram. Here's my email. I'll obviously send you any of the raw footage that you know has flowers in it, or um, maybe the venue. I won't do that per se. I'll usually just get send that to them after the fact because they're you know have a lot, a lot of um, um, weddings per year. Um, and then obviously, this will just help you build rapport with local people in your area as well too. So I just think that that's beneficial in general. Setting up my cameras beforehand is something that I've always wanted to do. But recently just started this year and it's actually so much more or so much more It's so nice. Um, it, I realized I love it. Um, this also goes hand in hand with my next point, which is setting up my audio beforehand. So the, either the night before or the morning of I show up at the wedding to where all I literally have to do is take my camera out and turn it on. Everything's set up, fresh SD cards in, 100% battery life. All the settings are dialed in. Um, and for me, that's just always helped me a little bit to be quicker on the day of and also just not to feel stressed about if i'm running one or two minutes late i don't have to you know switch things over and if i'm pulling something out of my bag last minute that i haven't touched all day like a microphone or something that needs to be clipped on the efficient right now because we're about to walk down the aisle then i don't have to say okay one second let me format it put a print a battery and stuff like that just doing it beforehand is great makes your life a lot easier come day of um basically anything that does distract you from filming and being creative you want to do earlier 
learning about the couple, um, reading up on the timeline, getting the timeline, just literally having it, having your stuff set up. Just make sure you do those things earlier so that when the day comes, all you're focusing is on is what composition can I get? Where's the lighting going to be the best? What poses can I do? That type of stuff that that makes your, your films go from zero to hero. Lastly, I want to say is remind yourself and read up on your deliverable. I can't tell you how many times I've had other people say like mid through the wedding, they're like, holy crap, this is supposed to be a 15 plus minute edit. Like I need to start filming everything in 120 frames per second so I can just slow everything down. I'm like, oh, I never want to be in that mentality. So I always double check and remind myself, okay, they they purchased a two to five minute highlight film. They purchased a six to 10 minute highlight film. Okay, they pitched, purchased a two to five minute you know, highlight and a ceremony edit and a 60 second teaser. So I want to make sure the ceremony is, you know, amazing um, that way because I know that that's going to be their long form of content. For me, I film every single wedding the exact same way, no matter what they purchase. And I do this because it's, I have the gear already and it's fully, it's like future proofing myself for add-ons. So basically after the wedding, um, this isn't really necessarily portrayed to uh, this topic, more so about like sales and stuff and whatnot with couples after the wedding but i send an an email and i say hey thank you so much for having me out your wedding was absolutely amazing um you can expect your 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 highlight film in x days to x days um and then usually around like a month after that i have a scheduled email that goes out and says something along the lines of like your ceremony was beautiful or uh, the speech was amazing like whatever i'll usually handwrite that or like hand check it before i send it out in case i want to change something like Wow, that first look was amazing. I'd love to. It would do. Do you guys want to add on the ceremony edit? Do you want to add on the first look edit? Do you want to add on a documentary edit? Any sort of add on. And by filming every single wedding consistently the exact same way, you can offer that. You can offer that. And you know, God forbid, something along the lines of like a, a parent passes or a grandfather passes, and they gave the most beautiful speech. If you didn't take out that extra camera on the day of to film an alternate angle and you were just bouncing around because you're like, oh, all I have to edit is a two to five minute highlight. You can't offer A, a memory for them or B, something to make yourself more money in your business using footage that you've already filmed um, when it comes to that. So that's pretty much it for the literal pre-planning. I know it went really, really crazily in depth here, but that's kind of what I'm wanting to do in this mini series, guys, is help you as much as I possibly can in depth before you go out and shoot either your first wedding or just to give you an understanding of the fact that you should have processes in mind when it comes to filming a wedding. In me and my head, everything comes down to this three-step processes. The pre-planning, the filming, or I'm sorry, filming, which involves pre-planning, editing, and then the post-editing, which is delivery and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the gear is ever, ever, ever changing for you. A lot of times, you're going to be purchasing new stuff trying new things, learning new things about your gear so that can be changing a little bit. Um, speaking of gear, let's just jump right into this. Like I said, I had another I have another episode on gear, so you can go listen to that episode if you'd like. I go a little bit more in depth on why I purchased what I did and stuff like that, but I'm basically going to summarize. So for me, I use all Sony cameras. So I have two so- I have a Sony a7 III, a7R III, and an a6500, and an a7S III on the way, guys. So pumped for that camera. Um, I have a gimbal. I use either the Mosa Air 2 or the Crane Weeble S, depending on how long of a day it is. If it's a really, really long day, like a 10-hour coverage, a lot of times I will start with the Mosaic 2 and then kind of revert over to the Weeble S just because it's a little bit lighter, less stressful on the back. As you start doing this longer, you're going to realize the cooler you are with your big, heavy setups is not necessarily um, future-proofing or long-proofing yourself. Um, Also, I have a Mavic Air 
Pro 2 that I use for drone coverage, all the audio gear. Basically, I do lapels during the ceremony. I have a Tascam DR40X, I believe. Yeah, at 40X that I use for all the speeches and also the house audio. Tripods, bags, random stuff like, you know, ND filters, microphones, stuff like that. Um, random things. But the gear is crucial because you want to be able to have a, a variety. For me, I recommend if you're going to offer a ceremony edit, personally, I think you should have three cameras no matter what. Four, if like you're really selling a lot of ceremony edits, just to like kind of push them to the next level. For me, the gear isn't nearly as important as you knowing how to use what you have and utilize the stuff that you, you you have because if you have all this gear but have no clue how to like use it to its max potential what's the purpose of it you know you're not going to become sam colder overnight just because you buy a canon camera or 1dx mark 2 or 3 or something um you got to know how to use it and that's that's pretty much what it comes down to how often do you find yourself scanning through your excel spreadsheet forgetting where you're at with a lead or job well those days are over i want to introduce you to tave Tave is my customer relationship management system, or CRM for short. Gone are the days of losing track of jobs, leads, or hand typing out every single email that you send to your clients. Every morning when I step into my office, the first thing I do is pull up Tave. Tave allows me to keep track of all my jobs and leads, send out automated emails, send and receive signed contracts, and even keep track of my analytics when it comes to the aspect of my sales. And these are just a few examples of the benefits I receive from Tave. If you currently don't have a CRM, I would highly recommend Tave. Navigate to the show notes down below and you'll get two free months, guys, allowing you to fully access the CRM and get the full experience of how it can benefit you in your business. Anyways, guys, let's hop right back into the episode. So now that you know the cameras and all the other gear that I'm using, I'll jump into lenses really quickly. For me, I shoot everything on my camera A, my, my number, my camera one, um, 28 to 75 Tamron is definitely my go-to lens just because I keep it on a gimbal a lot of times or I'm just popping it off. Oh, sorry guys. Popping it off and going handheld and I wanted to be able to punch in back and forth. That's a constant F2.8 so I enjoy it. It's a little bit lighter and smaller than the compact and the G Master and just cheaper too. Um, still giving really good autofocus and sharp quality. And then on my second camera, which pretty much is mounted on a my hip with like a Peak Design capture clip, is just my A6500 with a Sony 50 1.8. Small, compact. I can get a really tight shot at a low aperture at any moment if I need to. I usually um, keep that on the hip just with one battery, so it's really small and compact little setup. Um, and then my third camera, I just bust out for, you know, dialogue portions, ceremony, speeches, letter reading, stuff like that. Um, but basically, the lenses vary, guys. I pop my 35 on often. Um, trying to think what else I use. I have the uh, Soul Baby 45. I love that lens, but you have to be really wide back for it not to be kind of weird or just kind of really close. I find it a little bit more difficult to use than I thought I was going to be. I would love to invest into a um, a tilt shift lens soon. Unfortunately, they just don't make any really good ones for Sony, so you have to buy a converter and use the Canon ones, which can run you around like $1,100. So the 24 millimeter definitely is my next lens in mind. Um, but after that, I plan on getting a tilt shift for sure. Um, but those are a little bit of rundowns of the lenses I use. And then I just use a 70 to 200 on one of my angles um, during the ceremony. Ideally, I want to match those two side cameras. And I'm going to go a little bit into this more um, when I come down to the timing section and like where cameras are placed and stuff. 
But basically, I want to match those two side cameras during the ceremony, um, one that's pointed at the bride and one that's pointed at the groom. And then I'm just bouncing around um, on my third camera, basically just getting guest reactions, maybe usually a lot of times, honestly, just straight down the middle of the aisle too. And that's where your fourth camera would be placed if you had one. Um, but those are a little bit of the lenses that I use come the wedding day. So now that you know kind of pretty much all the gear I'm using, I want to hop into the settings that I'm using on that day. So let's get right into that. Everything currently, and I stress the word currently until that A7S 3 comes in, um, this is how I've been filming weddings for approximately like almost like a year and a half or two years. Um, once the A7S 3 comes in, things are going to change for me for sure. Definitely going to be capturing stuff differently, and obviously my goal is to just deliver in 4K. I want to give that option 100%. I think the quality is just going to be absolutely amazing. I'm so excited to finally get that camera and like the beast of the 120p in my hands. But everything with dialogue or speaking on the wedding day is filmed in 4K24. Now, I am currently delivering in 1080, but anytime I can shoot in 4K, I'm going to do it. It just looks better. It's higher quality to me. Um, I think on even when it's compressed down to 1080p, it still is so much... It's just so crispy. It's so defined. It's I love it so much. I Every time I, I've, I, I find myself on wedding days and even other stuff besides weddings, I find myself justifying filming in 4K30 just because I want the 4K. Like, that's how much I love it. And a lot of people can't even view it on their monitors, TVs, or phones, but I see it. I see it when I edit, and I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. And I have a, I have a tough time switching over to 1080p when I'm seeing how beautiful 4K looks on my monitor. But for all the dialogue stuff, no matter what, I do film that in 4K, 24 frames per second, um, following the 180 rule. For those of you that don't know the 180 rule, basically it is um, doubling your frame rate um, so that your motion blur can be proper for whatever you're shooting. So if you're shooting 24 frames per second, you want your frame rate to be around 50, maybe max 60. So you have proper motion blur to where everything's not crisp and in focus every single second when somebody's you know walking from one place to another. Um, for me, I also don't film in 4K because I want to be able to recompose if need be since I still am delivering in 1080. I don't like to upscale my 1080p. I think it doesn't look that good. So I'd rather just continue to deliver in 1080 until I get that A7S3 in um, where the A7S3 would obviously become my number one body um, from the from the start. Then every, those side bodies would just be 4K all day. So I can just straight just be straight 4K. Um, a majority of my B-roll is being filmed in 60 frames per second. I know you get uh, 100 megabits, so literally double the quality in the 120. For me, I just never find myself slowing down to 120 frames per second. To me, it's just a little too slow for me. It's too slow for my style. I never really enjoyed it. So for me, I'm just shooting everything in 60 frames per second. Plus, I just like having a little bit more flexibility when it comes to light. Um, and with the 120, you know, you have to be at 250 frames um, your frame rate. So basically your shutter speed's got to be 250. So it just cuts a lot more light, especially if you're indoors. So you have to shoot on faster lenses with lower aperture. So I just like shooting at 60 frames per second, but I will occasionally use the 120. For those that have Sony cameras, how I set this up is basically I have memory recall one and two. So I keep those for 1080, 60 and 4k 30. And then I leave the movie mode on 4k 24. Now, the thing that sucks about the movie mode is that if you change something and, and then you leave and then go back to that, it's going to stay changed. Whereas with the memory recall, every time you leave it, it's going to resort back to whatever you have it saved to. 
So honestly, sometimes it's a little bit scary. So I'm always just double checking when I'm in movie mode, I'm filming 24 frames per second, just reminding and checking the fact that, you know, my shutter speed and stuff is what it should be when I'm filming. Currently, I film everything in the Cine 4 color mode. Um, everything is based on uh, Cody Blue's settings on his YouTube channel. I was messing around with a lot of them on the HLG, stuff like that, and I really just fell in love with the Cine 4. It looks so good out of camera, desaturated, and then I can just add what I want to add back in post, and I've always just enjoyed that over messing around with S-Log. I currently am diving deep into learning it, though, because I have realized, especially with the A7S III coming out and reading more about that, that your colors are just going to be better on the A7S III and S-Log, and I want that dynamic range. So I definitely will be switching over to that as soon as I get my A7S III and I can mess around with a little bit more and learn more. But like I said, filming in Cine 4, always following the 180 rule, using ND filters when needed. I see a lot of people just cranking their shutter, losing that motion blur, losing that cinematic. Um, for me, I don't use that. I just stick with using ND filters, and I have a few step-down rings so they can adapt to all my lenses and stuff like that. When I am shooting on my A7 line, not the A6500, I have two card slots, so I'm always recording redundantly to those cards. For my A6500, it only has one card, so what I do to kind of like combat that is usually during the reception, if I have a minute to sit down, I'll just back that card up immediately if I can to my computer, um, just so I know that, that that card that only has the files on it is backed up and I can make sure I have that. I just put it on my desktop so it goes to the cloud as well. That way I just don't have any fear of losing any of that third angle or footage, because a lot of times, like I said, it's pointed at the bride or the groom um, when it comes to the ceremony, so I don't want to lose that angle of them speaking to each other. And that's how I'm, that's all my settings, guys. So dual recording when I can, using ND filters, following the 180 rule, and sticking to the highest resolution and frame rates as possible for the situation. So I kind of want to go through and break down my timing and kind of like my shot variety for you guys so you can kind of see what I'm doing in regards to on the actual wedding day. So timing, I have a whole episode on breaking down a wedding timeline. It's more geared towards couples, but as a vendor, you could really get a lot of information on a really simple and easy way to set up a wedding day if you have a good amount of say in it. And basically for me, I found that I follow this this pretty much this timeline every single wedding, whether it's eight hours, 10 hours of coverage, doesn't matter. My day will always begin with details. For me, when I show up, I gather all the details I can. Groom's uh, stuff, his shoes, watch, cologne if he's got it, stuff like that. Um, and then bride stuff, I'll grab her dress, shoes, rings, you know, earrings, invitations, anything that is in regards to the details of the wedding day. The stuff that you want to look at and remember, oh, I remember wearing that. I remember our invitations, stuff like that. And I'll capture footage of that. Um, for the details, as far as like the uh, invitations and rings and stuff, in video it can be um, like you, you're not going to use a lot of those shots. So the, I'm really quick with those things. A lot of times I'll wait till the photographer sets up her flat lays. And since I have experience in that, since I also shoot photos, um, if they're not there, I'll just set up my own flat lay, grab a quick few, like literally two or three shots of that. Cause you're only going to use one or two. I think people overuse those sometimes because, um, we're in like a very Etsy Pinterest type kick of like having details. Um, but for me, I'm always starting with details, hanging up the dress, getting that wide dress shot, you know, putting the groom's shoes with his cologne and his custom tie or whatever and getting that shot so that I can showcase that in the film at some point. Always starting with details. For this, usually filming a few in both both resolutions, a few in the 1080p 60 frames and some in 4K 30 just to be able to slow down to 80% and take away some of that jitter and stuff like that. 
It's usually on either the monopod for that or even maybe in the gimbal still, especially if it's a little bit wider. Um, I find that capturing details, I love doing it outdoors, maybe even showing some of the venue in it if I can, or just really close up tight shots and a variety of that. So grab some tights, grab some wide shots, stuff like that. The dress, I always suggest wide, get low, make it this grand thing. It is a grand thing. You know, a bride is always going to be thinking about her wedding dress when it comes to remembering her wedding. So make it a big deal, you know, make it a nice wide shot. I actually love using the 12 millimeter Lawa lens on my a7 III. It's, it sucks because you don't really have a, a choice of using the ND filter on it, but it's so wide with zero distortion and it just makes the dress shot look so sick, guys. Look at a few of my of my last films. I just got it. It's about a 950-ish dollar investment, but I'm telling you it's worth it, guys. It's so worth it, especially if you do anything like real estate or something like that. So moving on from that, I'll go to groom prep. It's during groom prep that I want to capture the guys hanging out. I want to capture the them the actual groom getting ready i'll capture you know um maybe the guy sipping on some beers all remember during this you want to be gathering scratch audio scratch audio is basically ambient sound in the room them laughing them uh, pointing something funny out about each other them whatever you can capture that you can use in the background of your song to just make the viewer think that they're there in the film and definitely wanting to utilize some sort of like you know, Rode Video Micro, Rode Video Pro, some sort of microphone on your camera to where you can capture a little bit better of scratch audio rather than like the crappy audio that our Sony cameras come with. Um, definitely during groom prep, I once the groom is completely dressed, if he's doing a letter reading, I'll do it at that time. Nobody else in the room, hide the mic to make it look like he's just reading to the camera um, and just capture that audio as clear and crisp as possible as I can. For this, I'm setting up three different angles. I'm utilizing my, all my cameras, which is definitely a roadkill, overkill in this situation, roadkill. Um, but I just want those alternate angles. So usually for the letter reading, I'll have him propped up by a window. Oh, sorry guys, I missed like one of the key points here. When you're filming groom prep, don't be afraid to ask him, hey, we need to clean up this section. I sent an email out, I think like five months prior, um, saying, please have a clean section in your groom and bride, bride prep room. It gives us, the videographers and the photographers, you know, we can spend less time cleaning stuff up and more time shooting. Um, have us clean section where nobody puts bags or anything like that, preferably by a window. When I walk into any room that I'm filming, lights go, lights are going off, if possible. If it's not possible, I'm not going to be that douchebag. It's like we have to sit in the dark here so I can capture like one color tone. Uh, but turning off the lights when possible, placing the groom by a window as he's getting ready, looks cooler they have somewhere to look out of the lighting is consistent it just makes your film look a lot better since you can set your color temperature based on one color temp in the room rather than the fluorescent bulbs and the led bulbs are all mixing in the air and stuff like that but for the letter reading three cameras one really tight on the face one a little bit lower, pushing up maybe with the letter in the foreground, and then one more maybe of a wide shot from the side, something like that, all filming in 4K24 um, to be able to have him actually reading it in the video. Same thing goes for Bride, same thing, except for her, I do it in her PJs or robe or whatever with her makeup completely done. People want to see a bride in her wedding dress standing. They don't want to see her seated. They want to see that wedding dress flow into the ground with that veil down. So I think for me, it's always looked weird when the bride's like sitting in her wedding dress. Um, so I always just have her doing it in her PJ. So it makes it a little bit, um, I don't know, more, make more sense in essence. Um, even though the groom did it in his full entire with like his suit jacket, like draped over the chair or something like that. For bride prep, um, I try to show up maybe roughly around like 30 minutes 
towards the end of the hair and makeup. I don't want, you know, girls don't want their bare face on their wedding day film. They want that last minute, 10 minutes of touch up where they're looking fine as a, as a good wine, you know? So, um, making sure that I show in those last 20, 30 minutes, that way I can capture the best moments of them. And then also just capturing like small little details of like hairspray being sprayed and stuff like that. Um, that's even a good time too, to, to capture some scratch audio, that stuff that you can use in the future. After bride prep, I'm going into, um, extra things. Um, first look, you know, first look with dad, first look with bride and groom, whatever it could be. Uh, maybe if the photographer decides to do like the bridesmaids photos before the ceremony, the groomsmen's photo before the ceremony, I'll do interactive shots with them, making sure that I capture, um, those moments as well in groom prep. Like I said before, it's just him getting ready, jacket on stuff like that with bride. It's her interacting with her bridesmaids. And then obviously I step out as she gets in the dress and just get that final zip up interaction with mom, interaction with her maid of honor, whoever's zipping up her dress. Um, and then whatever shots I can get of the girls like in their robe, those are just some crucial moments you need to capture during bride prep. And it's good to know this information beforehand, like ask them, are they bringing robes? Okay, well, I want to make sure I capture shots and stuff like that. After the extra stuff, I go into ceremony details and just setting up for ceremony. So I'm, I'm capturing just the venue itself. Maybe all the chairs are out, all the flowers are on it, and you can, I can get a drone shot of it and stuff like that. During this time, I'm setting up as well. So setting up my tripods with my two extra cameras, plugging into the house audio with my audio board, stuff like that, and then just getting usually drone footage since usually it's around the time where I have five to ten extra minutes or it's good lighting to where it's, everything's not going to be like crazily overexposed in the drone. And then after this, is, it's basic. It's just ceremony. So right before the ceremony, I'll go and I'll fire on the officiant's mic. I'll fire on the bride's mic. And I'll fire up the um, groom's mic. And I'm micing everybody up because I realize that the clearest audio comes from micing up the bride. And it's really not that difficult as long as you express it to them beforehand. They get an email from me, I think around three months out, saying, this is how I handle audio. This is where all the mics are, are going to be. And it's super easy and simple. Here's a video of it, you know, and I just tell them and, and I even show them the difference of how much better the audio sounds when I actually have the bride's audio um, instead of just boosting up the volume from the groom's mic. After the ceremony, guys, and how I do the ceremony, I almost skipped past that is like I told you, three cameras. I'm bouncing around with my third. Two are stationary, one point at the bride, one point at the groom, and then I'm bouncing around just grabbing audience reactions, different angles, swapping over lenses. For this, I'm usually on my monopod instead of the gimbal. I'll be on the gimbal for all the intro all the um, processional and stuff like that. But once everybody's in place, I'm hopping over to my monopod because I'm going to be standing in one spot, you know, for, you know, 10, 5, 6, 10, 5, 6, 5 to 10 minutes for like, you know, vows or something like that. So I just want it to be as steady as it possibly can be. And again, always filming all the talking segments in 4K instead of the 1080p. After that, it's reception. And this goes basically or truthfully based on the DJ's timeline. Um, obviously, I'm setting my audio up through his board to capture whatever is coming through the microphone, not just what's coming through the speaker. So if they have an audio mic receiver, I prefer that one. I've always found a cleaner feed. If not, I just, I plug into the speaker, the back of the speaker, and I just ask them, like, I've had a wedding where this was the case where the DJ played, like, piano music behind, like, the uh, speeches. I just ask them, like, please don't do that because then I can't use that that speech because there's going to be a song interrupting with the song I have in the background, stuff like that. But again, reception is based a lot on what the DJ is doing. I ask for a 10-minute warning for everything, so in 10 minutes, we're doing the cake cutting. I'll move all my lighting over for the cake cutting. For me, I use the Practilite 602. I love that light and just one LED panel that I actually don't even want to be using anymore. 
and then I just move stuff over according to what's happening. Speeches, cake cutting, etc. Um, and after that, it's the send off, guys. And the send off is always fun because if they have like a sparkler thing or a bubble thing or something cool, it's a great way. It's always a great way to end a film. If you have that awesome send off, you're gonna end the film with that send off. I don't see how somebody would have that in the middle. So for me, if I ever get a really good send off, I know it's the ending, so I don't have to worry about thinking, okay, like what shot can I get that's gonna be my ending shot. So the send off is always that. And then you're done for the day. You're done for filming. I pack everything away in at the wedding. Like I'm taking my ND filters off, taking my batteries out, putting them in, in their in like my dedicated bag, taking my SD cards out, putting them in my SD card case, which goes into my pocket. Unfortunately, we live in 2020. People steal things and it's it's annoying and it's messed up, but I never leave my SD cards in my cameras because God forbid I'm on the way home and I stop to pump gas or I don't even know, grab a drink or get an ice cream cone um, and somebody steals my bag from my, my trunk or something, I didn't lose all that footage and stuff like that. So I always keep the SD card either in my glove compartment, all of them, even the audio SD cards or just in my pocket in general. And that's pretty much all for the wedding day when it comes to shooting and packing stuff away. Before I leave, I'm also just connecting with vendors, handing out cards if I've never met them before, if we vibed really well, and also following and asking for Instagram so I can send them footage of the flowers, of you know whatever stationary stuff like that, whatever I can do to help them grow their business, you know, and create a positive relationship. I figured I should touch in before I close out the episode here, guys. Also, what I'm doing if a second shooter is present and where they'll be. For me, I like my second shooters to be on the hip. You know, we travel as a team, we shoot as a team. With that said, we're going to be at varying focal ranges. I would never have us both on a 50 millimeter or 50 or an 85. Those are two prominently tight angles. If I'm on a 24, he's on a 50 or an 85. If I'm on a 35, he's on an 85. If I'm, we, we always want to be varying and we always want to be shooting the exact same thing. That way we can punch and switch between the two. Um, obviously for me, I make sure that they're shooting on my color profiles, but a lot of the times, unless for logistical reasons to where like the groom's getting ready 45 minutes away or something, um, my second shooter always travels with me. And also if for logistical reasons, they have to set up for ceremony, I'll have them set up for ceremony while I continue to film first look or something else, etc. Um, but for the most part, second shooters are following along with me. They're just there to grab additional angles at different focal ranges and stuff like that to have a little bit more of an increased coverage. Wow, that was a lot, guys. I always have looked at each wedding as a new opportunity to tell a love story between two beautiful people. Remember that everyone has a different process, guys, on, on how they film weddings. And this is mine. This is what's worked best for me. So if you found any of this helpful, I'd love for you guys to give me some feedback. Leave me a review on this podcast. That would be amazing. I literally sit down and plan out each episode, what I want to say, how I can pack it, which is much, as much content as possible before I even click record. And if you've enjoyed it or enjoyed any other podcast episode in the past, I would love if you could leave me a review. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please be sure to connect with me on Instagram and YouTube. I post there pretty frequently and I'm always answering questions um, as well. Be sure to have a great week. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.